here we are again. Welcome back. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you for joining us and thank you again for all your support. It's been overwhelmingly uh, popular and I, it just blows my mind that where we're at today. And uh, it's not because of me by any stretch. It's because of the amazing guests that I have on. And I have another amazing person here today, Rachel Wonderly. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, this is the second time you've been on. Second time. Yeah. Good to be back. <laughs> yeah, it's been a couple years actually, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah. Almost, almost two years. Has it exactly. been almost yeah. two years? That is nuts. Well, you're going to love her. She's an amazing person, and I can't wait for you guys to get to know her a little bit better and kind of what she's up to right now, and it's going to be really inspiring for you guys. Um, I do want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Veracity Networks. Thank you for believing in me and for supporting this, and also, once again, thanks for all of you for listening and and for your support. This has been wonderful. Um, Yeah, so... Rachel, give us a little background about you. Like, where did you grow up? And just a little background on you. Yeah, for sure. So I was actually born in Utah. My parents met here at the University of Utah. And then um, my dad went to Harvard Law School, so we moved back east. So my brother was born in Boston, then we moved to D.C., and I mainly did most of my growing up in New York. So we moved to New York when I was eight and okay. moved back to Utah when I was 16 almost 17 so i've been in utah now for over 10 years so it's been a it's been a minute i feel like i kind of i'm from here now i'd tell people that i'm from here now but right but yeah grew up on on the east coast so it was definitely a a culture shock moving moving here i can imagine the difference (laughs) between new york and utah you know it's been it's a lot different right yeah yeah (laughs) oh yeah it's way different just the people the the dynamic just the atmosphere is so different so um, yeah, grew up, <laughs> grew up there, came here, did a f- my last couple of years of high school here at Brighton High School. Yeah, Brighton High. Sandy. That's where I yeah. went. Did you know I went there too? I think I did, we probably but I always that. get that confused because your daughter, you know, went to Jordan, so I knew uh, that. I'm like, Jordan, okay. <laughs> Jordan. We'll, we'll, we'll a, let that slide. We'll let that <laughs> slide a little bit, you know, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I you know I don't think I remember that. Uh, I'm sure you told me that before, but I didn't realize you went to Brighton, so that's that's cool. Yeah, it's just yeah. down the road from just here. Just right up, yeah, right down here. My parents live like five minutes from here. So. Really, still? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, right on. Yeah. Well, um, so a little more background from my perspective for people. Um, you're a member of the Well Church. Yes. Okay, and and a very passionate member. And what I mean by that, I mean you love it, and yeah. you love what you do. You love worshiping. Um, you love singing. You're, you guys, man, she has one of the most amazing voices. (laughs) She writes music and, and that's part of your worship is the music part, which we'll get into. You currently work, um, in the HR department at Lexington law firm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you're also uh, very passionate about suicide prevention and intervention. And I want to talk about that as well. Yeah. Cause I think, um, that's, I mean, especially right now, it's so important. I mean, it's always oh, important, sure. but uh, it seems like, you know, since COVID hit, you know, and I, you know, people know that I'm in the addiction recovery world. I mean, suicide rates have gone right. off the chart, unfortunately. Yeah, they have. And um, so I want to get your thoughts on that. Um, so give us a little background about the, you know, your involvement with the Well Church and how you got involved. I, you know, you've been baptized into the church, right? Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Okay, is that the right way to say that? Yeah, yeah. You. So <laughs> it's like 
you you get <laughs> baptized and that's kind of its own thing so there's not really like a, a membership or a right. baptism into said church specifically oh, okay it's just you attend the church but then okay. yeah um i was baptized at that church in february of 2018 okay i believe okay um so that was that was a good time but yeah i i was kind of trying out a couple of different churches in the area and I went to a few of the bigger ones a couple times and in fact when I would when I went to treatment they took us to a church that was um, kind of close to downtown kind of a mega mega church mm-hmm. and I had never been to a church like that before I thought it, I thought it was pretty cool um, but I really wanted to get involved and I you know I grew up LDS and I think one of the good things that they do is community they're really good at like you know you have your calling and your position and that's that's what you do and you're you're kind of committed to that and yeah. so um at the really big churches i found it a lot harder to connect so right. i wanted to find a place where i could really connect and um i was job shadowing this guy for a treatment center actually to work um, at a treatment center a long time ago and he was like oh i've been going to this Christian church and I wanted to get plugged in. So I tried this other one out and they mm-hmm. immediately wrote me in. They're kind of smaller. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. Yeah. He's like, they're actually looking for worship singers. So I was like, okay, great. At the time I had no idea what that meant. I just knew I'd get to sing. You're <laughs> so like, sweet. I'm like, yeah, this is rad. <laughs> so I went to that church and we were really small at the time. The well was pretty small. So yeah. um, we had like two or three services, one campus. Now we have two campuses. So All right on. Um, it was it was a fun experience. I, I went there. I immediately got an audition for the team, for the worship team. Joined that like two weeks after going to the church. So I was I was roped in right away. You're right in, Met yeah. friends right away. Mm-hmm. And just it was everything that I was looking for in regards to community. So when you let's talk a little bit about what you know, what led you to go into to treatment and then maybe how you found maybe I guess maybe more of a an importance of having a higher uh, power connection. Yeah. Do you mind talking about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I was married and I got divorced in, let's see, 2016. Feels like a lifetime ago, but, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) got divorced in 2016 and that kind of sent me into, um, like a spiral. I had been, I had spiraled out before, um, once, in 2011, um, just freshman year of college, it was just, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure who I was and I had kind of f- resorted to self-medicating for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So that's when that, f- my first rock bottom is what I call it, I hit. And then in 2016 right. with the divorce and everything, kind of just sent me into another uh, major life pivot. So I had what I thought was the next five, 10, 15 years planned out, um, kind of based off of his career and where we were going to move and all that stuff. So, um, I ended up checking into treatment around that same time, a few months later, just to basically, basically as a precautionary, I'd kind of numbed out at that point and it wasn't as bad as what it was in 2011. So I thought, but I kind of was just like, okay, I can't do this by myself. anymore so i'm sick of trying to do this by myself and 
Um, I ended up going to treatment for three months and that was it. I didn't need to go back or anything like that. But um, yeah, I was it was kind of just a combination of needing to to find my purpose and also get rid of the things that I was relying on in regards to just substance and people. Honestly, I would use people as rebounds or deflections for what my life actually right. was yeah. at the time. So yeah, checked into treatment and, and, um, and was there for, yeah, about three months, three months. So, you know, treatment, uh, for three months it might sound like a long time, but it really isn't. Yeah, no. You know, when you look at the grand, I'm, I'm the lucky one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. You are the lucky one. I mean, again, you're, you're passionate about, uh, you know, that and along with, you know, I know you've you've been an advocate for suicide prevention and intervention. Did that play a part uh, in that when you went to treatment? Like my passion for those things. Passion for those things, yes. Yeah, I definitely um, wanted to kind of see how people were going about helping people in these types of situations. Mm -hmm. And I had never, I had gone to therapy before, but never that consistent about it. Um, medication wasn't really a thing. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I was kind of off and on medication, just like anti-anxiety or an antidepressant right. or something like that, but nothing was ever consistent. And to me, treatment or rehab in general was just a terrifying thought. So right, yeah. I was just <laughs> like, I mean, to me, it was like I was getting in, I was in trouble. So <laughs> I never even got sent to the principal's office as a kid. So <laughs> now it's like, oh wait, I'm going to rehab? This is crazy. Yeah. So I did, I did, once I got comfortable um, being there after, you know, you settle in and you're there for one to two weeks and you kind of start getting the hang of the routine and all that stuff. Yeah. I started taking note as to what the structure of at least this place was. I yeah. wasn't sure if it was the same other places, but I really wanted to see how they kind of went about things. And one thing that I discovered was I had always been super passionate about suicide prevention and just mental health and talking about it in general. I've never shied away from that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But one thing I realized about treatment was even if it's a dual diagnosis, they're very heavy on the addiction side and they talk about the addiction side a lot. Right. Um, as almost as if that's the original problem and then the mental health side later, which right. I know a lot of therapists and stuff think differently and right. the, and their way of treatment is different. Um, but I was like, man, there's, there's a lot of room here for, uh, other types of ways to go about handling the root of the issue and, yeah. and the root of the, the addiction really and is it really an addiction problem or is it something that's a lot deeper than that so i kind of like yeah. became fixated on this idea of that for a long time and what can i do and and what what's what's going to be different than everything else that's out there other than finding a different structure maybe or a different um right. like clinical program or something like that um and god was really the main thing that that just hit me right in the face really? when it came to yeah uh recovery in general right. and that's not anything i found at the treatment center that i went to necessarily but i did find that it was something that with the with the higher power mm -hmm. way of talking and 
the AA program and kind of how it's set up with the higher power, I, I just realized that people are desperate for something bigger than themselves. Right. And that was the common denominator for sure. Okay. Well, you mentioned one of the things that you were struggling with bef even before treatment was knowing who you are. Yeah. Talk about that and why that was such a challenge. And I think that's a challenge for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people just walk around like, I have no clue who I am. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, for me, there's, I don't know if this is, you know, this, I don't know if this is something that's super common, but I have found it to be more common in people who do have suicidal ideation, which is interesting or levels of depression. But ever since I was younger, like a preteen, I've always had this belief that I'm on this earth for something much bigger than myself. And so I almost like the save the world mentality. So right. mm -hmm. if I'm just going to school and this is not to say anything bad about people who just do, you know, who have their routine who just right. go to school and get a job and have family and, and that's sure. it. And they're content. Yeah. That's amazing. I wish I was content with that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're a very energetic, passionate person. Yes. Yeah, I, I just anytime that that's happened, I've always just felt this uh, increase in urge to go on a go on a missions trip or um, start some start a big campaign or or start a movement or something like that. It's always been big. I don't know why yeah. I'm just not satisfied with <laughs> anything smaller, but it's always been something that's been in the back of my mind. And even uh -huh. in like eighth grade, I remember just thinking like, I need to plan for my life so that I can do things that are going to help a lot of people. So that's kind of when I started to uh, wrestle with the idea of even just going, doing nursing or social work, anything that I had an idea of in regards to career had to do with helping uh, like a massive amount of people. Right. And I didn't know what I was going to do with it ever, but I, I went back and forth with ideas in high school and in college. Um, and I'm still not totally figured. I still haven't totally figured it out, but it's just been, yeah, I mean, it's been a, kind of a, a whirlwind um, uh, of discovery. But yeah, there's always been this thing inside me that's like, y you need to save people. And mm -hmm. I don't know where that came from, honestly. So right. when I got saved in every sense of the word, like spiritually, physically, mentally, I knew that I had to try to figure out a way to share with other people how this was possible because it was the first time when I got to know like Jesus in the way that I know him now, that was the first time that I really discovered freedom, mm. um, freedom from addiction, freedom from suicidal thoughts on an hourly basis. I mean, freedom from things that I had been struggling with for 15 plus years so it started when you were young having some of these dark thoughts and yeah i think it started about eighth grade okay seventh or eighth. You, if you don't mind go back to eighth grade and just kind of tell us maybe what was going on at that time because people who know you now you know and i know you you know you're one of the most positive <laughs> happy you know energetic people so it's hard to see that yeah that you had this time where you just were thinking you know i don't want to be here right yeah, I mean, I remember eighth grade, I had a, 
a big friend shift and we were mm-hmm. we were living in New York at the time. Um, I was really focused on sports and I kind of just dove into that. Um, that was really my only outlet that and singing always was around, but um, musicals, things like that. Anytime I was on a stage, it went away. So anytime that I was on a stage or on a field, it my depression would immediately like I wouldn't think about it at all so it's the only time that I had any ounce of relief that and when I was sleeping so I would just go to practice or rehearsal and then come home and go to sleep and at the time you know I didn't have from what I remember I didn't have a really close relationship with uh, like my family, I mean, my family was your very stereotypical all American go to, to church family. Right. <laughs> um, but my dad traveled a lot for work and, um, me and my mom went at it a lot. Uh, I'm the oldest, so okay. I was the Guinea pig in a lot yeah. of situations and <laughs> yeah, um, they were testing on you. <laughs> yeah. We, they, they, you know, did their best. <laughs> But then all my other, my younger siblings, they were still into a lot of things that had to do with like kid stuff in my eighth grade mind. So we weren't as close. So I just felt very, very isolated. And I remember the only person that I actually talked to in eighth grade was our nanny, like the whole year. So, so it was very, it was a very isolated situation. I didn't really feel like I knew who I, I was and my parents have a very realistic mentality, a logical one. It's great. It's great right. for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it more felt like anytime I was talking about things that I wanted to do, it was more so like uh, shut down mm-hmm. because it wasn't, it didn't fall under the category of realistic when it came to going about a career the way that my parents would have wanted me to go about a career. You, right. you know what you you know what you want to get into before you get out of high school. Then you go to college for that specifically. Right. And then you get a job <laughs> in that. This, yeah, this is the pattern. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I didn't know. What, I just knew I wanted to help people. I didn't know anything else. So, you know, I'd, I'd go back and forth with ideas of like, well, if I just became a famous singer, you know, really unrealistic things. If I just became a famous singer, then it would at least give me a platform to speak about the things that I want to speak about so that I can help the people that I want to help. So even from a young age, I remember the idea of being a famous singer didn't even really come from me wanting to have like the, the, the glory or the, the sparkly lavish lifestyle. It was more so like, how do I get this message out there? Okay. And the message, whatever that message is, that's changed. That's evolved over time in my life. But um, you know, my eighth grade brain was just like, I just want to tell people that they're loved. Okay, so it starts there, and then it okay. gets more specific as years go on. Yeah, I think when we're struggling and we're desperate for help, it 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 is the wake up call to our own greatness because because of what you went through, you're like, you know, I, this is what I needed at that time. Now on, I want to be that person for someone else. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, something that a lot of people have in common who struggle with depression and anxiety is they they don't want anyone else to feel the level of pain that they feel. So mm-hmm. I see a lot of people who portray the class clown 
who really deep down, yeah. those are the ones who are struggling. Those are the people who are struggling the most because yeah. they just don't want, they know what it's like to feel as low as humanly possible. Right. So usually those people, including myself, don't want other people to feel that low. Right. So yeah. I usually find after digging a lot that a lot of the people that I, that I work with who are struggling with suicidal thoughts, that they're actually the most selfless people on the planet when it comes to everyone else. They right. won't, they won't help themselves, but when it comes to everybody else, it's like they would do anything right. for other people. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. So, you know, you, you go through that in eighth grade, you, you know, you eventually move here to Utah when you moved, was the move hard for you at the time as well? I mean, you're still what, yeah. 15. I was 16. 16. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a tough time to be moving because you got friends, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. That was rough. <laughs> I, I think I resented my parents for about a year. <laughs> Right. Like in hindsight, that move <laughs> was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, right. But <laughs> at the time, it was absolutely miserable. I mean, my my depression that was already there, I didn't know to what extent, but my depression increased severely during that move. And I I was always an emotional kid. So right. I I wore my heart on my sleeve, but I was a I was an empath at a really young age, so I could feel other people's pain at a really young age and I didn't know what that I didn't know how to process that. I didn't even know what that that, that was a thing, that right. an empath was a thing, um, till my adult years really. But when we moved I was leaving, yeah, I mean, I had made var the varsity volleyball team as a freshman. I was the lead in the school play and had my first boyfriend, you know, which <laughs> every adolescent yeah. girl is like, that's your whole life. So yeah, yeah, right. I was leaving my first boyfriend and um, I was just a disaster. I thought that yeah. that was like the end of the end of my whole life. So yeah. we moved here and that's actually... I started experimenting with alcohol and stuff once we moved to Utah. So in New York, I actually made my my religion and my belief system my identity fully when we were in New York because I was the only one. So it was unique right. and people knew me as like the Mormon or they, they knew <laughs> me as like the church girl or the whatever. and. And I loved it. I was yeah. like, this is amazing. This yeah. is, I can set a good example and I don't need to drink to have fun. And I was literally the only one, which is <laughs> shocking because right. we're young. We're in ninth grade sure, and yeah. stuff. But in New York, I mean, people are partying at a really young age. So I, I felt super unique not doing any of that stuff and then moved here and a lot of people were church people and a lot of people were drinking. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of miserable. I might as well give it a go. And that's yeah. kind of where it started was oh, okay. that's where the party scene started was me just kind of being, um, well, I didn't feel unique anymore. So mm. I think a lot of that in my young brain, that played a big factor. I didn't see myself as any different than anybody else. So I was like, well, I might as well, they're having fun. I might as well see what that's about. Right. And again, not knowing who you really are. Again, we're trying to find our place. You know, I heard it once and I can't remember who said it, but they said depression, a, a definition of depression is trying to be someone you're not. 
Yeah. And so what, what do we do? We try to fit in with this group and then we try to fit in over here. We fit over here because we right. we're just trying to figure things out and we're left empty. Right. Right. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah, absolutely. You're just kind of looking for for a fix, whether that be physical or emotional. It's just. Yeah, you're always you're always in a state of un, discomfort. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. So yeah, did did your family know that you were really struggling at the time as well? Or did you kind of keep that to yourself um, when, when you when you came here? After we moved here? Yeah, after you moved here, yeah. I think they knew. I mean, in high school, I would I was not sly about coming home wasted. So they must have known something. <laughs> um, they must have known something. I did. We never had... My parents and I never had uh, real conversations, I feel like. I think we could have done a lot better at right. having real conversations about what was going on. Right. Um, I would get in trouble a lot, but there would be a lot of times when I didn't know why I was in trouble. I would find out later that it's because they had been tracking my phone and knew I was lying about where I was going or whatever right. the pattern was. Right. But I didn't know why I was in trouble, so I actually never knew... Um, at the time, if they knew the severity of, of it, if they okay. knew that I was, you know, d driving really intoxicated at 17 years old in the yeah. middle of winter on ice. So it's like, sure. and driving friends home and things like that. I was the oldest in my grade, so I was driving first. And it was just, I put myself in danger a lot and, and other people in danger a lot. And yeah, I don't think that they ever really understood the um, the severity of it, but I know I was grounded all the time. So I didn't ever know why. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was just grounded all the time. So so um I think they were worried. They knew something was going on. They didn't really know how to how to have a conversation about it or approach it, but they mm -hmm. knew they needed to keep me um home and keep me you know keep an eye on me and that's pretty much all i knew and okay. i at, as a kid probably wanted more of an explanation now i can see that there was probably a lot of fear there right but um yeah i got i got in trouble a lot i think they knew we just never really we never really talked about it right i think we're still having i think um we're still having a lot of conversations uh, me with my whole family honestly about all of us, not just myself, but my siblings and a couple, couple things that my siblings have gone through. Yeah. Um, we're all having conversations now as adults saying like, Hey, did you, you know, did you realize like what was actually going on yeah. underneath? And I think we're all discovering bits and pieces about our past as a family right. that we didn't know were there. So, right. how, you know, this is jumping way ahead, but you know, how does your family, you know, especially your parents, I mean, see you now. I mean, you're you're a member of the Well Church, if that's the way to say it. <laughs> I, I'm like, I don't know. You're you're just attend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you attend the Well Church. Uh, you're again. You're passionate about what you do. You, you know, how do they feel about where you're at now? And then with your music and the way you do things. And I mean, do they see how happy you are and and the good that you're doing? Yeah, they definitely. Yeah, definitely. They. They love and appreciate the well so much. And, you know, my my dad is friends with my pastor. And so they okay. my my dad comes 
before we were um, before we shut down for for COVID, my my dad was actually coming to services every week live. So he would come to services. We just barely had a really big um, worship night in our parking lot mm-hmm. that was soup had we had a ton of people there. Um, my a lot of my family was there, so both my parents and um, a couple of my siblings. But yeah, they they definitely see that it's impactful. Mm-hmm. I think they see that there's been real change in me, not just like okay, when's the next um, episode going to happen? Yeah. I don't think they're waiting on that anymore. I yeah. don't think they've been waiting on that for a long time, which is great. But, I mean, I you never want somebody to worry like that. But yeah. yeah, I think that they see how much good has come out of it. I still think maybe they're wondering like where it's going to go as far as as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Um if I'm, if I really am going to stay there my whole life, like they're probably asking themselves those <laughs> questions right? or, you know, a lot of people, I get this a lot from my friends and family. They are so confused as to why I went from like just a couple hours of church to like a lifetime of church. Cause they're <laughs> like, why would you ever voluntarily do that? You know, like, right. um, yeah. And I, my pastor says this all the time that, just church should be enjoyed, not endured. And I love that because it's so true. It's just like yeah. every, no matter what church or, or belief system you have, um, you should be doing things and serving out of the joy of your heart, right. not because of an obligation. Right. And to not because it's going to make, you know, you feel better about yourself or because you get to check a box off later. Or, yeah. Um, feel like, a you got a good person ticket. Like it's just, yeah. you, you want to get to a place where you're, you're wanting to serve and, and mm-hmm. you're wanting to, this doesn't have to be everyone, but if you are yeah. looking to, you know, serve God and, and really kind of dedicate your, your life to, to a higher power to, to God, mm-hmm. kind of, what does that look like? Well, I'm, I'll tell you, it's a lot of, it's a lot of serving. It's a lot of, putting yourself second mm-hmm. um so just being able to have the the privilege to serve in the capacity that i serve right now at the well under the leadership that i'm under um, my pastors are just such amazing people and they really do dedicate their whole life their whole life to us as a church body but then way out outside that way beyond that and we're always thinking like how can we you know reach more people how can we do this so right. it's definitely a big commitment but i think that my 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 whole family sees um how much passion goes into it that it's a lifestyle it's not just right. like a volunteer job or something right. like that that i do on the side <laughs> if that was it i would have been burnt out years ago for sure <laughs> so, for sure so. Well, you mentioned, you know, you, you, you kind of put yourself second, but in order to do that, you have to be in a good place yourself. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Which, which going through treatment and then getting out of treatment and then just the stuff you've been involved with, I'm sure has helped get you just when you look yourself in the mirror in a good place. Is that talk a little bit about how you're in that good place for you personally? Yeah, I, I will say that it took a really long time. Um, mm-hmm. it, it took a long time, but it also there were moments when I thought that I was in a good place and then certain things would happen and I'd realize, OK, maybe I'm not as far along as I thought, but mm-hmm. that's OK. And I right. think what we need to realize people who are in recovery is just that 
you might feel okay for a long time. And if you do end up, you know, falling back, and this doesn't have to be as extreme as a full-blown relapse, but and maybe it is, maybe it's just what's in your thoughts mm -hmm. or just a lack of willingness to want to get out of bed and you thought you were over that phase of life. I still have moments like that, sure. but it's definitely a lot more rare. And I think it's important for us to realize that you can still move forward when things like that happen. You right. don't have to view it as this, okay, I'm starting back at ground zero and I'm starting back on day one. And right. um, now I've only been, you know, sober. I've only been not suicidal for, for one day. It's like, no, you yeah. just went 200 days. Now you might've had two days where so, right. where like things got the best of you but you just did like let's not forget about the 200 yeah, days you just accomplished out. right it just yeah. it doesn't throw all that away so i think remembering how much you've accomplished as a whole um helps when you're trying to continue to move forward right but for me when it comes to um i i absolutely love I'm an advocate for therapy. I'm an advocate for medication mm -hmm. and and trying different things out because I think that you know you got to be smart about right. how you go about medication and all those things and um, being around people and doctors that you trust is important. Sure. But yeah. out out of all of that treatment, medication, everything like that, really the only thing that has kept me my head above water permanently to where I can sit here and say that I know for a fact I will never commit suicide um which I can't even believe that I'm able to say that honestly because that's not something I ever thought that I would say yeah. but I've now built like this level of armor um around me mentally where there's just there's nothing breaking in and it's kind of when i realized now for a lot of people i don't know you know who your demographic is who listens to this but i'm sure this is going to sound kind of weird most will relate with this okay so, so this yeah. is gonna, this this sounded really weird to me so if you're listening and this sounds weird <laughs> <laughs> this sounded really weird to me but we talk about this at my church a lot um spiritual warfare mm -hmm. and when you realize that you're not flight fighting against the the Bible says talks about this, but how we're not fl fighting against flesh and blood, we're fighting against basically evil that's of the devil, and it's kind of like the second you realize that this isn't this isn't my fight. Like as Rachel, this isn't my fight. This is this is God's fight. I need to kind of let him take over for me and I can do that and he can he can take over for me he mm -hmm. did say that he would lift you know our burdens and and um when I allow him to kind of take over and fight these battles for me against evil that is there right. it makes it a lot easier it takes the weight off of me but it also makes me realize like I can look at s Satan or the devil whatever you want to call it and in my mind, I literally just picture this bully on a playground who's mm -hmm. trying to steal my lunchbox. Like it right. just becomes a lot less powerful. Right. So the suicidal ideation and the or or the cravings or whatever it is, it becomes way less powerful um, because I can just kind of kick it to the curb with with a yeah. sentence, just like yeah. like Satan. You know, you have no power here in my life anymore. You have you have no power. Um, this isn't a substance that I'm fighting against anymore. This isn't 
this isn't the chemical imbalance in my brain that I'm fighting against anymore. All of those are factors. But when you are fighting for other people and you're fighting for the, the kingdom of God and you're fighting for a lot of people who are struggling, the, the enemy doesn't like that at all. Right. So he's going to come in with any type of master plan to take you out at all times. So you always kind of have to be on guard. And as soon as you realize that like there's a calling on your life and it's important and it matters, right. um, that's when the enemy's going to hit you a lot harder and he's going to come in and be like, oh, nope, I, I can't have this person walking around doing good <laughs> on the planet right, because right. this person is going to save thousands of people. Yeah. And I feel like the devil kind of, I always joke that he kind of leaves people alone who are kind of just content with going about life yeah. and just doing their own thing. Cause the second I find or meet people who want to help others in a grandiose way, right. they start to struggle a lot. Yeah. And I'm like, what is the deal? What is that? Yeah. So I just pinpoint it to spiritual warfare. It's like, yeah. There's something much bigger that's fighting f against you, but there's also something much bigger that's fighting for you. For you. And like God that. is wow. for you. Like right. he is he is for you at all times. He wants you to succeed. He n has the best plan for you. So it's being able to believe that, being able to yeah. believe that he has a much better plan for my life than I do for myself, even though I think I know everything about myself, you know, right. he's, he created me. So I'm sure he knows more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very well said. I love that. I, it's interesting. Whenever you make a decision to do something good, it's always challenged on ways you, you didn't even see coming. Right. Right. It's amazing how that works. But I like how you said, you know, the good forces behind us, God and everyone. I mean, that's way more powerful. And I, I share this with my clients all the time that what we focus on increases. Yes. So if I'm focused on the, the evil and the negative or whatever, that becomes this big, scary monster and it's, 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 it's magnifies. Right. But if I know, if I keep my focus on, no, I, I've got God on my side. I'm doing good. I'm a good person. I right. know who I am. That magnifies. And like you said, I can kick those evil thoughts or whatever or those feelings to the curb and go, no, I'm more, way more powerful than that because I've got all this on my side. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Once you understand the magnitude and the power of God, like I think a lot mm -hmm. of people, they'll, they, people will say, oh, I believe in God. And they think that God's in their life, but they don't know how to actually bring him into your life on a daily mm. hourly basis like okay god i'm gonna i'm gonna pray even before this conversation just that my words are not my own words but they're your words like what do you yeah. want me to say right what do you want me to say that's going to help this person because at the end of the day if i'm going to meet with somebody who's who's about to jump off a bridge um, Rachel's not going to really know much of what to say that's going to resonate with that person specifically. Now, I know what to say as a blanket statement right. that I feel like would generally help people in that situation. But every single time I go into a situation like that, I'm literally praying to God, like, you know this person, this person is your child. So you know this person way more than I do, um, even if right. they're a good friend. But help me say like the exact words that, that they need to hear. Yeah. That's maybe gonna be an answer to prayer for them. So for it's sure. kind of making 
God more more tangible, bringing him into your life in a more tangible way has been super impactful for right. me just on a daily basis. Well, and I agree with that wholeheartedly, but also I want to give you some credit too because of what you've been through, people will listen to you because you've mm-hmm. been through the dark and, 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 and at times you still go through it, but because of what you went through, and it reminded me, that's why I stood up here and grabbed this. I don't know if you've heard this. It's a quote. Uh, it's called The Wounded Healer. And I want to read this, and this reminds me of you. Oh, awesome. Okay. It says, a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think that others can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. So that's you, Rachel. Honestly. Um, Yes, you have God on your side, and you, you have those moments, like, and he's helping you. But also... Because of what you've been through, people will listen to you, you know, and I think yeah. that's why you're so good at what you do. And when I say what you do, meaning the, 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 the worship that you show people and that energy and passion, love that you exude, it's because right. of what you went through. And people are like, man, this is authentic. Rachel is authentic. And that's one of the feelings I get from you when I'm around you is you're authentic. No, I appreciate that because it's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's something I've always strived for. I, I don't, I don't know how one just creates authenticity, but yeah, it's going through stuff. I mean, well, sure. people yeah. who go through stuff, you can tell, I can tell when I'm, when I'm hearing a Ted talk or if I'm hearing a sermon or, um, even just listening to a song and I know who wrote that song. I can tell when somebody has been writing out of a place of pain, um, somebody who's come from nothing. It really makes a difference. It's people's testimony. I mean, people's testimony is their story. And never, never in my life, this is actually something that I've been praying about for months now, is just, God, I obviously want, to be okay. I obviously don't want to struggle with suicidal ideation or or addiction or anything myself. So help me do what I need to do to take those things away. But if I ever get to a place where I'm, I haven't struggled with those things for a, a long time, help me still remember what it was like when I did so that I can help other people right. who are still there. Exactly. Because a lot of people that I know who seem to have great lives when I was struggling, I would just look at that and I would for sure think there's no way that they've actually been through the level of pain that I'm in right now. Right. There's no way that they've been through that. And coming from someone myself who's been at the, I guess, last possible phase before death, if you're talking like suicide, and if that was gonna take me out, um, it pretty much did. I mean, right. it almost did. Almost so did, yeah. it was it was basically. I mean, I got as close as you could come to death without dying. So, if there's a level of pain that anyone understands in regards to suicidal ideation, I mean, I've been there. I've I've definitely definitely felt it. And never in my life did I think I'd be able to even say that I went a month without thinking about dying. That that a month was like a big goal for me. And now yeah. my goal is like a year. Like, okay, let's see yeah. if I can go a whole year without 
without it really crossing my mind and yeah. and um yeah i mean it's possible it's possible to get to a place where it's not consuming every second of your life because i know how exhausting that is it's exhausting right you don't yeah. want to fight for yourself anymore you right. really can't fight for yourself anymore right. like that's when you need other people yeah. that's when you need treatment or a therapist or a good friend or a pastor to pray for you or whatever it is that's when you need other people but amazing things amazing songs amazing stories amazing books and everything yeah. that's created that's that's awesome I feel like has come from a place of pain originally. Yeah. It's usually started from a place of yeah. pain. So I never want to forget the level of pain that I was in because I never want to forget where God has taken me. Taken you, like yeah. Like where he's brought me to. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, people who know you, and I mentioned it in the beginning, you're really, you know, you're an amazing singer. And I know you're you write music, and you've you you mentioned yeah. you've written a lot more lately because of, you know, COVID and kind of being yes. confined. And <laughs> so, talk about why music is so important to you, and and why that's a big form of your worship. Yeah, well, music. So there, music is something. The melody of a song. There is nothing like the melody of a song to br to make me emotional. I wasn't. Um, a very I was an emotional kid on the inside but I did not really cry um, until mm -hmm. just recently like the last couple years of my life so emotion was never something that I was good at expressing and music always did that for me okay. so from a very young age you know if I was even in a conversation this is super dramatic but if I was ever <laughs> in a conversation with like let's say I was dating someone I'm like 16 right. or whatever I would just send them a song and say, this is exactly how I feel. I don't know how to say it any other way, yeah, but this is, this is how I feel. Right. So I'd use music to communicate. <laughs> so I'd use other people's songs. And then I was like, well, I've, I've been through stuff now. So maybe things that I write, other people who aren't able to communicate their own feelings will be able to use my song right. and communicate um, how, like, how they feel to somebody else. So writing music started when I was 12, but it was really just kind of off and on. And then lately, I've been writing worship music for the first time. And okay. I'll go back and forth between writing secular pop music um, to worship music. But there's something really powerful about being in a place of uh, just, just pain or even just how we've all felt during COVID. Just this weary, just kind of dark cloud, just like hovering yeah. over you just yeah. when is this gonna end like when is life gonna be right. normal <laughs> or whatever normal is gonna yeah. look like down the road it's like how do you cope with stuff like that how do you cope with this being the new normal right now and having that bring up a lot of anxiety and i just will go to the church and and just start a melody will come into my head and then i'll add lyrics to it and the lyrics, I have a lot to say. So <laughs> the lyrics, the lyrics are basically when I have a lot to say and I'm passionate about something, I honestly have to, I have to step away because I'm, I worry about sometimes I have to be careful about the things I post on social media and stuff like that, because I never want to react out of emotion. I want right. to be able to 
calmly respond to situations but I am a passionate person and music definitely helps me release that passion without having to do it in like an angry way yeah um, we all have anger we, we've all seen everything going on with racial divide and all that stuff and it's I'm sure it's stirring up a lot of emotion and there's a lot of things that I've I've posted a lot but there's still a big handful of things that I wanted to post that I didn't because right. I was like, eh, no, okay. Yeah. That's, I'm only posting that for my own <laughs> selfish gain to basically just say, in your face, this is a good point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've made it. Like, this is like, how can you, you, don't, you have no rebuttal for that. Like, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> right. At the end of the day, we're supposed to build a bridge right. for people. So build a, build a bridge, fill that gap between people who who are like you and people who don't understand right. um what what you're passionate about you don't want to no one's going to listen to somebody who's just yapping in their face they want to feel yeah. understood and heard so love that um music for me has been a way for me to just kind of calm down put the passion somewhere so that i'm not having to put it on blast yeah. on social media all the time yeah well and your voice is amazing i'm not just saying Thank that like you. it really is like you can feel your passion behind your words. Thank you. And it's it's that. really inspiring. And I, I want I, I want our listeners to to be able to reach out and, and listen to some of that music. Um, yeah. But I want to I want to ask you shift gears just a little bit. And I know this is a big question. So, but I I would love to hear your thoughts. You know, obviously the world, particularly the United States, is going through the, you know some, you know we've got you know, Black Lives Matters going on. We've got yeah. you know, a lot of bad things have been going on, rioting and and protesting, which is understandable why this is happening. And there's a lot of people suffering. A lot of, you know, a lot of uh, black lives have been taken. Yeah. In, uh, and it's just, it's really sad to watch. This is a big question, I know. What do you think the world needs right now most? With all of this going on, how would how would you look at that, and what would what do you think we need? That's a good question. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot here. I know, but um, I mean, there's it's hard to formulate this into words because I feel like I I f can feel what what the wor world needs, but it's hard to, it's hard to verbalize it. Um, I'll try my best. It's mm -hmm. the world needs to just know that everything is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I feel like right now, because there's so much uncertainty, um, people are scared, rightfully so. Right. Um, People are anxious, rightfully so. People are people are really apprehensive about what's going to happen with everything from politics to our physical health. So it's just there's a lot of unknowns. And um, I think knowing that there's that, – that God honestly has already he, – he knew that this was all going to happen – before we were even alive i mean he knew that he knew that all of this was going to happen and mm -hmm. every single one of us was put on this earth for 
for a reason and a time period, I feel like specifically. I feel like everybody yeah. was put here at the time that they were put here for a specific uh, purpose and, and reason. So, you know, if you're feeling like COVID, like, like how am I supposed to get past everything with COVID and racial divide and, and election stuff and everything going on, just how am I supposed to get past that? Just know that like, it's not by accident that you were put here and live through 2020, like a year like 2020. This year is going to be a year that people look back on forever. Right. So um, yeah. it's going to be a year where people hundreds of years from now are like, how did you guys even survive that? And right. we're, and like just yeah. how we probably look at things that happened a thousand years ago and we're like, I would never be able to live without. I couldn't do that. Not yeah. even without my hair dryer, <laughs> like random stuff, random things like that. Like it's just, yeah. we were all put on, on the earth when we were put on the earth on purpose it wasn't by accident yeah and even if you're sitting there going like well i i was an accident like maybe your parents told you you're an accident or something like that listen i'm one of the accidents <laughs> if we want to go about it that way and yeah. i still choose to believe that like i know i know god knew that this was going to happen for right. like forever and I know that he knows what's going to happen in the future. So if we can, just like you said, the focus is everything. Yeah. Are we going to focus on everything that is bad? Or are we going to focus on building a bridge and being that gap um, and sharing light to people? Right. Because we have not a lot of that going on right now. Oh, we don't have that. a lot of light being spread right now. Mm -hmm. And it's just if people can just know like, we are going to get through this and mm -hmm. it's not even just a matter of getting through it because that that makes people i feel like automatically feel like it's something we need to rush through i would say everybody needs to give themselves grace in this moment and okay. time to be able to learn and grow through this so not just hurry it up to try to right. get through it but grow from it grow oh, through that. it like yeah. come come out of this covid season a different person a better person come out of this this racial divide that we're in that's the, i mean we're not going to come out of it this is something that's going to be going on for a long time unfortunately it's been going on for a while but come out of this season where conversations are happening um a more open-minded person you know right. like see other people's side for a change put down your sword everyone just put down your sword put down your weapons and view every single person as if you would view yourself i know that every person posting on facebook and every person that is mm -hmm. getting mad about people wearing masks people not wearing masks people voting people not voting people protesting people not protesting whatever it is um, you know that whatever you post, that at the end of the day, behind your post, you're a good person. I think everybody genuinely thinks that they themselves are a good person and are wanting to post things for good. Yeah. So assume that of everybody else too. Assume yeah. that the person, like I, like I saw this, um, this, I think it was a picture or something. It was a picture of a, of a girl and it just said, God loves the people you hate. And it was so simple, but it was like, wow. Yeah. It took me back. It like yeah. kind of just like made me think for a minute, like, oh, 
I didn't think that I hated people, but that's a good point. That's yeah. God still loves the people who are on completely opposite spectrums as us in regards to our views and our beliefs. Yeah. So remembering that when going into a conversation and knowing that that conversation, it's just, it's just a stepping stone. You don't have to save the world in that one conversation. You don't have Dang. to change somebody's that's mind powerful. in that one conversation. Right. You just have to listen. You just have to be there. You just have to, I've been telling this honestly to a lot of my white brothers and sisters and friends, because I think right now we really need to listen to um, our black brothers and sisters and their actual experience yeah. without this notion going into the conversation of, I already don't believe their experiences. Yeah, I think subconsciously we think that because we can't wrap our head around how awful it is. And so it's hard to empathize with things you haven't gone through yourself. Exactly. And I would just say, you know, any, especially people listening who are in recovery, we of all people, recovery people, should know what it's like to feel misunderstood. Mental health is something that people yeah. are, it's so hard to navigate. Right. And it's always, people are always trying to navigate it from a perspective of having not gone through it. So I do have a hard time talking to people. I love coming here and talking to you because I know a lot of your story and I know right. that you've been through really hard things as well. And that's why you're helping people. And so you have credibility because of that. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, all of us in recovery, we have, we have credibility um, from a standpoint of we have been through things that a lot of people don't understand because they haven't been through it themselves. So when it comes to racial divide, if you've never been discriminated against because of your skin color, take a step back and understand that just because you haven't gone through that yourself doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. So we need to be those advocates for people who are going through things that we haven't gone through, just right. like we are, are hoping that at some point, everybody who has an experienced depression will understand it right. at one point. Wow. Beautifully said. I love that. And all the more reason why we, you're like, you're saying we need to listen to our black friends and what they're going through and listen and, and, and have an open mind about what's going on. Because yeah. like you said, we don't know what that's like because we're not black. Right. So anyway, so beautifully said, thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, so if people wanted to reach out to you, how would they do that if they have a question for you? And then how would they find out more about the Well Church as well? What would be the best way to do that? Yeah, so right now is the best time for people to f discover the Well, especially, I mean, well, because we just started COVID. Honestly, COVID was one of the biggest blessings that ever happened to the well. Right. And it's because we would have <laughs> never launched an online campus had this happened. <laughs> right. So now yeah. we always we're joking now that we have we have a third campus now. So we launched a downtown campus cool. a, a year ago or two right. years ago. Um, whenever it was time, time just is a blurb now, it is. but um, <laughs> we now have an online campus. So all of our services every single Sunday, it's all on YouTube. Um, just the well Salt Lake City. So okay. if people just YouTube the well church Salt Lake City or the well Salt Lake City, um, it should pop up. All of our sermons, full worship set. So you got like your worship, you'll listen, you'll have about 20 minutes of music or so in the beginning. And then one of my pastors will get on and, and give a message. Um, okay. everything's on YouTube. So I'd say definitely get a hold of that. Okay. Their Instagram as, as well as just the well SLC. 
So um, get a hold of that as well. If you're in the Salt Lake area um, right now, you know, our church is not in session. So it's the best time to kind of figure out if it's someplace you might want to go when COVID kind of blows over and when we've figured out a way to navigate church um, with people there. It's I know what it's like to walk into a new place and feel super anxious about it and be <laughs> right. like, these people yeah. are crazy and they just want to give hugs and that's kind of weird. And now yeah. I'm, <laughs> I don't want to be hugged because social distancing and you know, yeah. whatever we're going to face. <laughs> um, but, but it's a perfect chance to just kind of get on in the comfort of your own home. You, nobody has to give you a hug or talk to you. Yeah. We won't say anything, but you could just check it out and see what you think. And then um, I post a lot of um, announcements about church or just songs that we're writing right now. There's just a couple of us on the team who are Mm -hmm. writing songs specifically in hopes that maybe we launch an album in the near future. That'd be great. um, Next year, beginning of next year, possibly. Um, We're really, I mean, we're in a writing season for sure. We're trying to write, write our way through the, through the struggle. But, um, my Instagram is just Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L underscore wonder. And that's wonder like my last name. So it's W-U-N-D-E-R. Yeah. And I say, I give a lot of announcements about the well. So, yeah. but following them is great too. <laughs> I, always, I said this before, Wonderly. What a great last name. I mean, I know. that is so When awesome. I was married, I didn't change it. Honestly, he was pretty like, pissed sorry. about it. Yeah. But. <laughs> I wouldn't I was either. Like, I don't know if I want to, man. It's pretty yeah, solid. If I was the guy, I'm like, I'm going to take your name. I love that. That's, that's beautiful. It's right. <laughs> hilarious. Well, um, so yeah, please reach out to R- Rachel because she is an amazing person. She'll help you in any way she can. Yeah, absolutely. You can obviously tell by you know, her amazing story, what she does. And you're just amazing. I'm serious. Oh, I, thank you. I admire what you do. You're an inspiration to me. I follow you. I, I, I look at the YouTube videos. I watch them. It's, it's powerful. And I really do. I feel that love and that light and that spirit when I, when I, when I follow those things. So thank you for being you. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on again. It's always awesome. You know, I follow you too. And it's just, <laughs> it's just so great seeing people. It's awesome having people go, go before me and, and right. kind of like lead the way. So thank mm-hmm. you for leading yeah. the charge in this whole sure. world, like just the recovery and everything that you do, because it's, it's just super inspiring and it's just everything that I want my whole life to be. So, wow. so thanks for, for setting the, setting the path. Absolutely. Down. Well, thank you. And again, that's uh, Rachel Wonderly. What, what an amazing person. Uh, thanks again for all of you for listening and for taking the time to support this. And please share this with everybody you know, uh, because they need to hear this message from Rachel. And thanks for believing in me. And until and, and next time, I guess, right? Yeah. Thanks again See for being around. here. <laughs>